I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the letter of James, James chapter 5. I'll be reading verse 19 and 20. This will conclude our sermon series on James' epistle. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 1202. These are the concluding words of James to his audience, where he writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's ask his Blessing in a time of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that you would teach us now in this hour, this half hour or so of hearing your word preached, that you would open our ears, open our eyes, our hearts to receive your word, to believe your word and to respond in faith to your word, to respond in action. Oh Lord, many of us know, maybe of a family member or friend who has wandered from the truth of the gospel. Oh Father, we pray that you would draw them back to yourself and that you would teach us from this passage of scripture, the church's responsibility and obligation to look out for one another, to love one another, to show concern for one another, especially as it relates to those who wander from the truth, that we have a desire to call them back to, your, to Christ. Father, be with us now as we hear your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, in this sermon series <clears throat> on the epistle of James, the author exhorts, calls to action the Christians to not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it. We've seen that throughout the course of this letter. Don't just be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer of it as well. And he makes it as one of his themes throughout the letter. And he also shows us what then true faith is. True faith just does not just hear the word, but it does the word. True faith is a living, active faith. It is faith in action. It is faith in action. This is the mark of a person of true faith in Jesus Christ. And such a person believes the truth doctrinally, he believes the word of truth, the doctrines of the truth, of the word. But he also lives in accordance with that word. Because doctrine is not an isolated thing or belief of a set of teachings. It's not isolated from living out the Christian faith 
in holiness and righteousness. Because those whom God truly calls to true faith are those who will live lives for God and His glory. So James makes it a point to teach us and his original audience that faith works. Faith works. True faith works. The deceived person, however, hears the word and doesn't practice it. He is the unwise or foolish person. And so in many respects, James' letter is like the book of Proverbs. There's the way of the righteous person, and the righteous being those of faith in Jesus, faith in God, and the way of destruction, the way of ruin, the way of the fool, which is not name-calling, but the way of saying those who are spiritually discerned, those who do not have true faith, but walk according to their own will and purposes and desires. And by his, that person's inaction and dead works, he proves to have a dead faith. Jesus, or James, rather, follows very closely to the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've observed the many parallels between James' teaching and Jesus' teaching. And how Jesus, as he taught about the kingdom of God, so too James teaches us about what it's like to live in God's kingdom. For example, Jesus teaches everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. There are great parallels between James and Jesus as James looks to the master teacher for wisdom and how to live the Christian life in a world that is motivated by greed and sin and evil, motivated by the works of the devil. In fact, they originate in the devil by him. And so now James concludes his letter with these two verses, this short paragraph. There's no benediction, as Paul often gives to the churches, Pass along greetings to such and such person. Tell them I hope, Lord, willing to see them soon. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. James doesn't end that way, does he? There are no final words of blessings or even a conclusion. But rather, he wraps up his letter, wraps up his letter with the Christian community's obligation. Based on everything I've said to you, Christian, this is how you ought to interact and treat one another. He concludes with an exhortation, another exhortation, another call to action to rescue the wayward brother or sister in the Lord, the one who wanders from the truth. Bring back the wayward sinner from his plight and peril. 
So as we look at these two verses, we notice here that he speaks to my brothers. Or we can say my brothers and sisters. Now he's talking to the whole congregation, to his brother and sister in the Lord. And he talks about the one who wanders from the truth and the one who brings back a wanderer of the truth. And he talks about the consequences of what happens, the blessed consequences of what happens when somebody is brought back to the truth. And so there are three things going on here. First, we're going to look at the waywardness of the sinner. The waywardness of the sinner before we look at what we have next, the responsibility of the Christian community. And then we're going to look at the blessed state of the reconciled sinner. The blessed state of the reconciled sinner. But first, let's look at the waywardness of the sinner. James says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I thought we were all sinners. Aren't Christians sinners? Yes, we are sinners. Sinners saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But again, going to the genre, the, the, the type of letter that James is writing his use of sinner is that like of the Proverbs or other wisdom literature. The word here for sinner is a word that means missing the mark. A person who misses the bullseye. If you're into archery and you want to hit the center of the target and your arrow goes to the right or to the left or like me, it goes straight into the ground... <laughs> You missed the mark. That's the imagery that James is giving us. That this sinner is a person who misses the mark or comes up short. Comes up short. Short of what? Short of the standard of God's truth. By all appearances, by all appearances, he seems to come up short on true faith. He seems to be squandering the blessed benefits he has in Jesus. What do I mean by that? He's neglecting to obey God's word in his life. And consequently, he's going on a path that leads to unbelief. When in fact, in the heart, there's unbelief that manifests itself in dead works. The sinner is one who has come up short on the truth in both doctrine and life. Or it can be illustrated this way. A person is on a path, a path, a, a hiking path, and there's, there's only one path that leads you to the place you need to go. And he deviates off that path. And the path leads to a cliff. Leads to destruction. 
Verse 20 may be translated this way. Look with me in your Bible at verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the error of his way, literally it's way. Whoever brings back a sinner from his way, which can be an idiom to say the error of his way. Sounds like the Proverbs, doesn't it? Literally, whoever brings back a sinner, one who is departing from the one true faith, who is showing by his life that he doesn't believe, and he's on a way that leads to destruction. Such a person has strayed from the truth of God's word doctrinally, and he doesn't practice it. He is what we would call a backslidden Christian that is potentially becoming an apostate. An apostate is a defector, someone who abandons the faith. If a soldier is keeping post and his platoon relies upon him for safety, this soldier says, I've had enough, I'm leaving. He leaves his post. That's a serious crime. And the military tribunal will have their way with him. But what did he do? He defected. He abandoned his platoon. He abandoned his orders. He was once a part of them, but now he's left them. As John would say, they were once of us, but now they're not of us because they've left us. That is, they've left the faith. This person was probably baptized. This person probably made a profession of faith. This person probably enjoyed all the benefits of becoming a member of a church. This person was probably among the ranks of the Christian community, partaking in the Lord's Supper. Perhaps it's a college student who goes off to college or other, some other vocation and the world swallows him up or her up. Perhaps it's a guy, a man, by all appearances, lives a life of faith before others, but really lives a secret life until he's found out and doesn't repent and turn to Christ. Perhaps it's somebody watching online right now. Perhaps it's someone in the sanctuary who's showing seeds of this straying on the wrong path, the error of his or her way. This is the sinner that James has in mind. He isn't name-calling. He's using very Jewish language here, very Old Testament language, very proverbial language that is from the Proverbs, wisdom literature. Because we confess we are all sinners. And we look to Jesus for salvation and hope. But what he has in mind here is a person who is hardening his heart and seemingly leaving the truth of the word altogether. And he's showing this by his life. 
don't be deceived. Sin is deceptive. Or I should say, don't be deceived. Sin is deceitful. That is the waywardness of the sinner. But James here presupposes the responsibility of the Christian community. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You know, it's important for family members to care for one another, love one another. If there's a care or concern in the home, what do we do? We seek to make reconciliation, make peace in the home. We seek to restore brokenness in the home, in the family, as much as it is possible for us to do that, as Paul would say. As much as it depends on you, make peace with all men. So you do what you can. What's the church of Jesus Christ? Aren't we a family? Aren't we a family? Is it not the responsibility of family members to minister to one another, to each concern and need? Isn't it our obligation to one another as members of Christ's body, whom he shed his blood for? To reach out to the wayward sinner, love the wayward sinner, plead with the wayward sinner, come back. Come back. Isn't that what the biblical prescription of Matthew 18 is all about? Restoration and reconciliation? Isn't that what Paul means in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1? To bear one another's burdens. To call the sinner back to repentance. Isn't that our responsibility? In fact, hasn't that been the practice of James throughout this letter? That has been his practice throughout this letter. And so we can start to see why he ends his letter this way. It has been his practice to call to action the Christian community to, to bring back those who are seemingly lacking in true faith, those who seemingly are, are being uh, tempted to be with the rich and, and greedy with their money and squandering the blessings of God and not appreciating God's faithfulness and blessings in their lives. He's been pleading with the Christian community. And now he's calling my brothers and sisters... It's your turn. You too have the responsibility and obligation to bring back the wayward sinner. If any of you wanders from the truth and one of you brings back to the truth one of these, then you will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James addresses all Christians within the Christian community. 
Yes, this is the work of the elders and pastors, but this is the ministry of each and every Christian. Each and every Christian. Now this may sound like it's up to us to save the soul of the sinner. This may sound like that. After all, doesn't James say, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let me provide some biblical examples on why it's not the case that we're not saving the person from hell by our works. Only Jesus saves. So what does James then mean that we are to have this responsibility and obligation to the Christian community to call the wanderers of the faith, wayward sinners, back to true faith? Well, we've read it from Psalm 51, didn't we? Psalm 51, verse 13. Daniel chapter 12. Listen what Daniel says. Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There's this responsibility of the Christian to plead and persuade the wayward to turn from sin and to turn to Christ. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Wow, you're starting to sound like an Arminian. No, this isn't Arminianism. God does the saving. He saves us redemptively. That is, He saves us from our sins and misery. He saves us from the wrath of God. He saves us from hell. He's the one who saves us. We are called to persuade the wayward person to return to the truth. Because what this looks like then, friends, is that we are instruments in God's hands to turn sinners back to the truth. We are instruments of God to turn sinners back to the truth. We are going between the sinner and death. If a sinner is as I've been describing it earlier, is on this path that leads to destruction and there's death. I'm going to get in the way. I'm going to get in the way and I'm going to plead with that person. Here are the consequences. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. I beg of you, turn to Christ. John the Baptist, it was said of him, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God by his preaching, by his teaching. God will use him to turn many to the Lord Jesus. We are instruments in God's hand to bring back our wayward brother and sister, to correct the error of the way, to instruct them of the error of their way. To teach them again the way of Christ and his word. Love, friends, delights in the truth. 
And if we truly love our brother and sister in the Lord, we would get in his way if he's going off rails. Because again, think of the Proverbs. He who does not discipline his son hates him. If we do not get in the way and try to persuade, we then show by our actions that we hate our brother or sister. Be on your merry way to hell. Is that our attitude? Again, as much as is possible for you and me. But there comes a point where they are so hardened that they want nothing to do with you or God's people. Then you pray. You pray. We pray. It's our responsibility to be faithful to the things that God calls us to. Be faithful to the things that God calls us to, lest we neglect to reach out to bring back a lost soul to the truth. Then that's our problem. Then we have a problem. If a person wanders from the truth and is lost, and we just watch him go over the cliff, we observe the error of his ways, and we, he walks by us, heading into the abyss like a dead man walking, and are we okay with that? Are you okay if a son or daughter, you're, you're, by, you're the son or daughter of your own flesh that you raised to, to know Christ and to love him and to serve him? You discipled your church. Are, are you okay to just let them go? No, you're not. We get in the way. We get in the way, knowing that only Jesus saves us from hell. But what James is talking about when he says that, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. That we are getting in the way and trying to persuade the sinner to turn to the truth. And when that sinner turns to the truth, then that way of death is no longer in the picture. Because there's now confidence to the way of life. We teach the way that leads to life and the way to death to our children. We teach them diligently the way that leads to life through Christ and the way that lives, leads to death through unbelief. And we tell them to choose the wise path, to choose Christ, to choose life in him. And we teach this through discipline, don't we? We teach it through discipline. When the child heeds the parent's discipline and wisdom, his life then is spared, isn't it? If a child does something that can cause physical harm, and it just so happened that it didn't physically harm him at the time, but you tell him, I'm going to discipline you because of this, and if you do it again, it can cause further harm. And the child heeds the wise counsel of the father, 
and does not do it again, has that child's life not been spared? You see where the illustration is going, what, what James is talking about here? He's talking about from that human stand, standpoint, the human perspective. The responsibility of the Christian community, I like to say, is to get in the way of a wayward sinner and call them back. Lovingly, prayerfully, It's tough, isn't it? It's tough, isn't it, to see a wayward sinner who happens to even be a loved one. And then you begin to pray. You prayed this? I prayed it. I don't know. Lord, do whatever you have to do. Break him or her. Break him or her in such a way. Do what you have to do. They're, they're on their knees. And they're looking only, only to Jesus. You ever pray that prayer? Because what do you have in mind? You have eternity in mind. Forget about the temporal and transient things. What they have, their great job or whatever. At the end of the day, it's the eternal that matters and that person's soul. Let's look at the blessed state of the reconciled sinner. The one whose soul will be saved from death and whose sins will be covered. Verse 20, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The person who brings back a sinner from the error of his way will save the sinner's soul from death and death here refers to an eternal death. You see, when we were created body and soul, the, the, at death, at physical death, the body is buried but the soul continues because the soul was made for eternity to never die. However, the way, the path to which the soul goes upon death, physical death, is what is at stake here. Death here refers to eternal death, eternal separation from God. The soul will experience either eternal life with God in His presence or eternal condemnation in hell. You see why then the responsibility of the Christian community becomes even more fierce, more Real, more pressing. When a sinner is brought back to God's truth, God's word, he's restored and can have confidence in the salvation of his soul upon physical death. And this is because God used his instrument, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a brother or sister in the Lord, who took upon God's call to be responsible and obligated to go to his wayward brother or sister, call him back to the faith, return to Christ, and then the sinner returns to Christ, and he has now confidence and is reconciled. And then there's great joy. 
there's rejoicing. That's the first blessing. His soul from death will be saved and will cover a multitude of sin. The next blessing is that the one who turns back or brings back a sinner will cover a multitude of sins. This is a way of saying the forgiveness of sins. His sins will be covered. His sins will be forgiven. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered, whose iniquities are forgiven, whose transgressions are forgiven. God forgives and God alone. And when a sinner is called back to God, he is reconciled. He is restored. He has confidence now. He has confidence in the day of judgment that his soul will be with the Lord and he has confidence that his sins are forgiven and cleansed. Cleansed by the blood of Christ. We don't have time, but if you're taking notes, write down 1 John chapters 3, 4, and 5. Chapters 3, 4, and 5 of 1 John, if you want to do it in your devotions or whatever, and you'll see some parallels here. You'll see some parallels. The congregation of Christ, the obligations and responsibilities of the Christian community are weighty, aren't they? They're weighty. They're important. Is there someone in your life who has gone in the error of his or her way? If so, what are you doing about it? Let us not say, oh, look at him. He's floundering in sin and unbelief. Shame on him. He lost his soul. I'm just going to let him go. Is that what James calls us to do? Doesn't love delight in the truth? Doesn't love call us to reach out to one another, have that responsibility to reach out to one another? Oh, look at him. He's floundering. She's floundering. Oh, I hope the elders are taking care of it. That is the work of the elders. But what about you? What about you, Christian? You, you know this brother or sister. What about you? Maybe a card. Maybe a call. I'm praying for you. Praying for your walk with Jesus, your faith in Jesus. Has God given up on you? Do we think we made it this far on our own? Do we think that we have it all together? Do we think that we've been remaining steadfast in the faith because we've mustered up the faith to remain steadfast? God saved me, now I've been doing everything myself. Oh, really? Really, Roberto? You have been doing that, huh? God hasn't given up on you. In fact, he's been sustaining you by his grace. And he's used men and women in my life to get in my way. Learn from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who calls the wayward believer to repent and turn back to him. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3 in closing. Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Keep in mind that Jesus is talking to Christians who have closed the door of their hearts to him. Verse 19, this was to the church of Laodicea. They were lukewarm. I'm not going to go into the context here, but this is what he says in conclusion to the letter to the Laodicean church. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you have hardened your heart to Jesus, if you have closed your heart to Jesus, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. I am here. I haven't left you. You've closed the door on me. Return now. Open the door. No fellowship with me. No fellowship with me. And so when we get in between the wayward sinner and death, we are pointing people to Jesus who is calling this person to believe on the Lord Jesus, to trust in him, to repent, to turn, change their mind concerning the direction and the waywardness of their hearts and to turn it towards Jesus and live, find life and life eternal. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we are humbled that you, O oh Lord, call us by your grace and mercy to be called children of God, adopted into your family, into the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you, O oh Lord, are using us as instruments for your hands to minister to one another, to love one another in both word and deed. We pray, O oh Lord, for those who have gone astray, perhaps a loved one, perhaps a family member, a friend, perhaps someone who is near and dear to our hearts, perhaps a spouse or a child or a grandchild. O oh God, we pray. We pray, O oh Lord, that they would heed your word to repent. That they would heed your word to come back to Christ. And that you would use us, O oh Lord, as that instrument to call sinners back to yourself. And that you would move in their hearts in such a way, O oh Holy Spirit, that they open the door and welcome Christ into their hearts and home. Oh, Father, we pray 
that you would bring about reconciliation and restoration upon those who have strayed from the Christian faith. Oh, Father, may we protect our own hearts. For as we will sing in just a moment, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, take my heart, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Oh, Lord, so protect our hearts and minds so that we indeed may persevere. Trusting in Jesus, our only hope in this life and in the world to come. In his name we pray.